Let me uh, begin our time in prayer. Now, Father in heaven, thank you for this uh, beautiful morning, uh, a morning that we may come and gather as the saints of God. We might be blessed by your presence, which we pray for, blessed with the uh, study of your word, the fellowship of the saints. May all this uh, be blessed of you that we would gain a more uh, full and complete knowledge of all that we share in and for Jesus Christ. So bless our time this morning, I pray. We pray in Christ's name. Let me uh, read again for us uh, from Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Appia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. 
refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Thanks be to God for his word. Okay, well this morning I would like to think about uh, just a few more points in uh, Philemon and then wrap up our study. And Lord willing, we'll begin a new study uh, uh, next week. But more about that. Uh, we'll keep you in suspense. So last week, uh, we thought together about uh, the relationship of masters and servants. According to Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and 6 and Colossians chapter 3 and 4, uh, both have duties to the other. Anyone recall what is the duty of servants to masters? Obedience. Obedience. Okay. Anything qualifying that? As unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Yeah. Uh, work. Do those tasks that are assigned to you as unto the Lord. With sincerity, not just trying to be eye-pleasers, men-pleasers. Um, with fear and trembling, obey them as you would <laughs> Christ. Masters are to do what? With respect to their servants. Very good. Stop your threatening. Sounds like you're reading right from the word, Barbara. <laughs> Is that in Ephesians? Yeah, Ephesians. Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond, servant, or free. So in, in uh, a servant's uh, service, there are duties to be done, things to do, but what Paul is getting at is not about the actual thing done, but the heart in which it is done. Do your best, 
employing the skills that you have, but it's all about the heart in how you do this. As, as if God himself had asked you, because he is. That is the uh, uh, theology of the doctrine of Christian vocation, that every vocation you have is uh, of the Lord, whether it's full-time ministry, whether it is working in a steel mill, whether it's teaching school. And those are, we think more of as our employment vocations, but there's vocations in the home as parents and children, husbands and wives, those are all vocations in which we have opportunity where God has placed us to love and serve our neighbor. I think that's part of what Paul is getting at. Love and serve your employer, your master, because God has put you there. It's your vocation. So in a, in a sense, when you're doing your work, you look through your master and see, see the Lord unto whom you're rendering. Now, uh, masters, you'll notice in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 9, masters do the same to them. Well, you know, masters have uh, certain duties with respect to their servants. But again, do the same takes us back to the heart matter as a, as a master. Stop your threatening. Would you threaten Jesus Christ <laughs> uh, if he were in your employ? I don't think so. Now, you, we would see the same thing in Colossians uh, at the end of chapter 3. In verse 22, uh, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Uh, by the way, that's a, this is a good verse about, uh, you really need to understand all the Bible informing every verse of the Bible. Because if you just lift that out and obey them in everything, that's without qualification. But we know from other scriptures, um, there, there are quali qualifiers to that. What would be a qualifier to that? They're commanding you to do something that's in scripture. Yeah, right, right, absolutely, okay. Um, obey them in everything, uh, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, uh, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever work you do heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ. Uh, that's awfully similar to uh, the letter to the uh, Ephesians. Understandably so, Paul has written both a 
at the same time, and they're both being carried to the churches uh, in Ephesus and Colossae uh, by none other than our friend Onesimus, who is returning back to Philemon. Uh, we know that he's got a travel companion. Um, they're traveling back from Rome to Asia Minor to deliver church uh, letters to the churches, particularly the letters to Ephesians, we know, because uh, Onesimus is, is mentioned uh, in Colossians as bearing this letter with his travel companion. And the same travel companion is noted in Ephesians. And then there's a, a letter mentioned to Laodicea, which is close or in between Ephesus and Colossae, and they were supposed to trade letters. Uh, we don't have that letter but in the province of God, it was not deemed necessary for us. So anyway, there is a lot of, of uh, continuity between the two letters and what he's saying. Uh, and then chapter 4, verse 1, by the way, remember we talked about when you try to learn a particular Bible passage, don't be uh, bound by the conventions of chapter and verse uh, because they're it's just a man-made tool to help location. But whoever marked chapter 4 here started with in the middle of the master-servant relationship. Not a, not, I don't know why, but it really, this in my mind, should have been chapter 3, verse 26, rather than chapter 4, verse 1. But be that as it may, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So all of this is to be done, uh, master, servants, um, with a view to the heart and the larger view that uh, God in heaven is uh, in this. Of course, that went over into every human relationship, right? Okay, so... Uh, that's just a quick review of the relationship, uh, the duties between masters and servants. Um, both are to act toward the other with a view to the Lord. Now consider how this would have affected the master-servant culture in Colossae with Philemon and Onesimus. So you have Onesimus coming back from Rome with this letter. Onesimus is a slave Philemon is the master. And if they will live these principles out in their community, what would be the effect of that? Right. These... Um, Letters would have been written in the, or read in the church. Um, and here they are, they're going to live those principles out by the grace of God. So other slaves and servants would have seen Onesimus. And if they had a uh, chance to uh, fellowship together just in a, a group of uh, Slaves or servants, Onesimus, <laughs> what's going on with your relationship to Philemon? What would Onesimus say? It's been totally changed. 
One, because I'm not the man I once was. You knew me once as a slave, but as a pagan slave, an unbelieving slave. By the grace of God, I am not what I once was. I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm following Christ's words in how I am to treat Philemon. Oh, really? Well, tell me more. Then down at the coffee shop and all the uh, other masters are talking with Philemon. Dear Philemon, what's going on? There's like a difference. <laughs> and frankly, it's kind of upsetting the way <laughs> we're, we're treating our own service. What does Philemon say? Hey, my conscience is bound to the word of God. And the word says to me, this is how I am to treat my servants. Fairly with equity. Think of the godly influence in the culture. As we noted last week or the week before, um, the apostles nor Jesus spoke directly to the master-servant relationship as needing to be changed politically or civically. But having addressed abuses and the relationships between masters and servants, as one person said, effectively laid the acts of the week. Now, we could think about it in our own American history um, with much sadness, I would say. Uh, Christian slave owners practicing abuses they'll have to answer for that others maybe practicing more equity hate to break it to you your founding father George Washington owned slaves if I had my history right he freed them all suspect he treated them fairly. That was his duty. And frankly, there was just a lot of abuse. This should have laid the axe at the root of that problem. And to the shame of the church, it didn't. Can it be applied to um, employer and employee? Yeah, and we talked about that. Um, for us today, the closest context of application would be in the employment relationship. Uh, we all have employers. Uh, I say all, generally speaking, we work for somebody, or have, or will, and uh, we should work for them as unto the Lord, and employers should treat their employees fairly with equity. So yeah, Tony, that's a, that's a good point. Again, because you can have a witness even there, right? You know, uh, perhaps there's lots of grumbling <laughs> at work, and you can curb some of that just by your attitude. And, and yeah. Well, just thinking, some of it is a dose of moral ego, also mm -hmm. about how we're to conduct ourselves 
Okay, well, let's keep moving because by the grace of God, I'm bound and determined to, to, to end, end this today. Okay, so the, considering the effect of the master-servant in the culture as they live out these principles towards each other and before other masters and servants in the community, uh, let's just say it would have affected the community hopefully in three ways. First, it would have glorified God and his word. Second, trust it would have advanced the gospel of uh, Christ in Colossae as believing, um, as a believing slave witness to other slaves and a believing master witness to other masters. Third, it should have had at least some influence as a restraint on abuses as salt is a preservative. Salt light, glory of God, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. Let's look at that. The first effect, to glorify God in his word as you live the principle out. Um, Matthew chapter 5, Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do a people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's, in my mind, how this works out in Colossae or in our community as we live out biblical principles. Salt is a preservative in the community, hopefully, to restrain abuses just by the effect of Christian influence in the community. Light of the gospel, all to the glory of the Father. Um, so again, application, we may be salt and light in our own circumstances as we obey and practice the principles related to a horizontal relationship such as master, servant, husband, wives, parent, child, according to these passages in Ephesians and Colossians. Okay, moving on. Um, Consider verse 22. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon and says, Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So Philemon will pray that Paul will be released from prison and journey to Colossae. Paul will never make that journey. And Philemon will never see Paul again. They were personal acquaintances because Paul shared the gospel with Philemon and Philemon came to faith. And so they were, they were close in that sense. 
But notice that though Paul never made it there, Onesimus did. And in Onesimus, Philemon received a piece of Paul. Paul's own heart, as we read. That's what Paul said of Onesimus in verses 12 and 17. I am sending him back to you, Philemon, sending my very heart, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Well, Philemon didn't, um, didn't ever again see Paul. Might have prepared the guest room for him, prayed for their reunion. It never happened. But Philemon now has Onesimus. And he has this letter that says, Receive Onesimus as my very heart. Receive him as you would receive me. So every time Philemon looks at Onesimus, who does he think about? His dear friend Paul. The letter itself, as well as their testimony of Paul in the church, would you know, continue to be a Philemon's tool. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, that is true. Um, some application from that. We pray for a lot of things, and sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes God gives us something different. Uh, here in this case, um, Onesimus instead of Paul in a different relationship. Do you have any personal examples where you pray for something and you got something else, but that something else was really, in a sense, what you asked for, too? Yeah, so um, 20 years ago this year, um, our son, John Cameron, um, born, we prayed that um, he would come home. He was a little bit ill, born with a genetic um, issue in his kidneys, never made it home. Christopher Bruce does. <laughs> Christopher, who we adopted a year later. So in a sense, when we see Chris, we see a piece of John Cameron. As we received Chris, as we would have received John Cameron. Um, just one example. Okay. Um, before we wrap up our study... I'd like to return to three words in this letter. 
The first is the word more. In verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Application, in the grace of God, let us do more for each other than what they ask. For this is what God does for us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. In the Greek, that's the same word that that Paul uses in his confidence in Philemon. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond word, even more than all that we ask or think. Well, Philemon is also acquainted with that word, more, because Paul says, you're going to receive an estimate back, not just as a bondservant, but what? More. as a brother in the Lord. More is an important word in the Christian faith. Everything true about the faith is more than we can fully comprehend. That is exciting and encouraging. Uh, let's see, second word. The word partner in verse 17. <clears throat> so if you consider me your partner, The word partner in English comes from the Greek word koinonia. It means fellowship, or community, or communion, or the share that one has in something. Uh, let's look at a couple of places where this word is found. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13.
the last verse of the letter, second letter to Corinthians. <coughs> Pardon me. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's the word. Koinonia, fellowship, partner, partnership. Uh, we should uh, know that verse pretty well. Uh, Beth's father <laughs> last summer uh, preached on that very text. Um, let me go to another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 16 and 17. Uh, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The word participation there repeated twice is this word oinonia. Okay. What Paul is saying is um, there is a participation, a sharing, a fellowship, a communion with um, Jesus Christ in the faithful taking of the Lord's table. We participate with Christ in the bread and in the cup. But more than that, what is he saying about the church in those verses? We're all one. Why? Exactly. And as each personally has fellowship with the Lord, and we're all eating one bread, we are having communion also with one another. Okay. That's important because we're thinking a lot in the letter of Philemon about horizontal relationships between uh, the saints. Yes? Precisely. Again, we're one body participating and united with Christ, but that has horizontal implications as we uh, are one body with each other and we are partners and we have fellowship, this word koinonia, we have these things in common with each other. How should that then affect the way we think about how we treat each other? So <clears throat> let me read just a paragraph from Calvin. Calvin is really in this paragraph addressing the Lord's table, but it is such an important uh, paragraph as to how we deal with each other in the context of the Lord's table, but in the broader context and just in the life of the church. Okay, so here's John Calvin from the Institutes. Uh, 
The cup of blessing which we bless is communion with the blood of Christ. The bread of blessing which we break is participation in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10. So all we who share in the one bread are one body. We will have gained much from the sacrament if this knowledge is engraved and etched on our hearts. We cannot harm a brother, slander, mock, scorn, or in any way offend him without harming, slandering, mocking, scorning, or offending Jesus Christ in him. We cannot disagree and fall out with our brothers without disagreeing and falling out with Jesus Christ. We cannot love Jesus Christ without loving him and our brothers. The care and concern which we have for our own body, we must also have for our brothers who are members of our body. Just as no part of our body can experience pain without every other part feeling the same, we must not allow our brother to suffer any affliction in which we do not also share out of compassion. It is thus with good reason that Augustine so often called this sacrament a bond of love. For what goad could be sharper and keener in encouraging us to have mutual love among ourselves then when Christ, in giving himself to us, not only invites us by his example to give ourselves and to risk our lives for each other, but in making himself one with us, makes us all truly one in him. What a good word. Partner. Remember that. The word more. The word partner. Lastly, the word forever in verse 15 of Philemon. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you, Onesimus parted from Philemon, for a while, that you might have him back forever. Every earthly relationship save one is temporary. Master-servant, husband-wife, parent-child. It's temporary. Uh, has anybody ever gone to uh, eastern Oklahoma, Lake Eufaula? Uh, or heard of Lake Eufaula? Interesting word, Eufaula. From an Indian word, and it, it comes from a place, uh, I think, in Mississippi, where the Native Americans were separated and displaced, and the place of separation was Eufaula. So it means they separated here and went to other places. That's just a great reminder that every earthly relationship, save one, is temporary. And you'll separate and go to other places. The one relationship that is not temporary is the relationship we have with believers. 
by extension of the Lord. It is forever. We have each other forever. The word forever in the Greek is from the word eon. An unbroken age. We see that word in Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus says, And lo, I am with you always or forever, even to the end of the age, the end of the eon. So we have each other forever because Christ has us forever. I think that's just a great word. Those three words in mind. More, partner, and forever. Okay. Um, let me just do a little wrap up. The study in Philemon was really a study in how to study the Bible. If you recall, the first time we we met in December uh, and read Philemon, it was in the context of really thinking about how to study your Bible. You begin with the most important thing you can do, which is pray for uh, the Spirit to illumine the words of the scriptures to you. One of my fast becoming favorite verses in all the Bible is from uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes to behold wonderful things in your law. And that's what we pray that the Spirit would do for us. And every time that we are looking into sacred scripture, that the author would open our eyes and give us illumination. But the first step, then, uh, followed by the second, is just reading and rereading the book and the passage, noting key words and key themes. When we did that in application with Philemon, um, we started to pick out these key words, partner, love, fellowship, um, more, forever, all these things. And then we tried to go to the second step, which is condensing the book, the book of Philemon, because that's what, the, the, the Bible is a library of books, right? Condensing it into a, a, a pretty simple outline with this simple thought. So the outline that worked for me that I suggested to you was, uh, in the key themes, uh, Philemon loves the saints, Philemon loses a slave, Philemon receives a debtor. Um, and then having kind of gotten the key words, the key passages, uh, condensing it into a kind of a simple outline of the melodic themes that kind of get repeated, uh, then we began to expand the outline, you know, adding some more structure to the outline, uh, 
key thoughts, sub thoughts, uh, application, supporting ideas. So you, you you start kind of broad, just reading it, get the, getting an understanding of the, the message and its key words, key themes. Break it, condense it into a, a kind of a memorable outline. Then expand that outline, you know, with with flesh on the bones. From there, recall you get the microscope and the scalpel out, uh, looking at words, phrases, passages. Uh, there, it's helpful uh, to uh, have the help of uh, commentaries. The first two steps you ought to do on your own and not be influenced so much by other books. And you can read the Bible. As Paul says, you're sensible people and you have the Spirit in you. But then there's a depth of, of uh, study that's very helpful. To broaden your understanding of, of, a, of a passage, um, we also thought about the story, just the, the, the story level, the drama of Philemon, the geography. You know, we start over here in Asia Minor and um, Colossae. Onesimus journeys all the way over, I guess, from your, from your perspective, all the way over to Rome, okay? And he's there for a while. And then he's sent all the way back. And who is he sent back with? And who does he meet over here? And who's right? There is drama and story in the pages of the Bible. Don't forget that. It is one grand story. And in, in thinking about the story, it sort of lifts it up out of just black and white text. You should do that. Okay. Uh, because then when you start thinking about what was it like for Onesimus to be in prison with Paul and then be sent back to Philemon. Right? He has a measure of freedom as a new creation in Christ, but he's still is now sent back. You know, why can't I can I just stay here in Rome with you, Paul? We'll send a letter to Philemon. You just, just tell him, I'm gonna I know you would do this anyway. Just let Onesimus stay here and serve me on your behalf. I got to. I have to actually go back. Yeah, you do. Well, then you begin to think about and you it, you personalize uh, the Lord. He comes living in that sense. Uh, then we looked at other passages in the Old and the New Testaments that would have thematic connections to expand our understanding of the book. And having done all that then we begin to grasp the significance of the book and the parts of it. Not only to us individually, but to the church and to the flow of redemptive history. Well, hopefully our time together just in applying some study methods to the Bible here in Philemon, because it's all compact in one page, uh, has been of help to you. It certainly has been a help to me to Go back through those. I, I must tell you, I've gained a, a new appreciation for uh, this little letter from Paul to Philemon. Uh, we touched on a lot of lessons in it. The lessons like providence, uh, new birth, new creation, 
new life in Christ, living out the faith in horizontal relationships, love of the saints, especially expressed in this letter in forgiveness, that Philemon will forgive Onesimus whatever wrong he may have done, and then in the fellowship we have with one another and with God. All right, so we've come to the end. Next week, Lord willing, we'll start a uh, video series uh, by Peter Lilback, president of Westminster Theological Seminary, um, a video series on the Reformation. And you'll say, where? <laughs> well, uh, next week, Lord willing, we'll have uh, the implements needed to uh, watch, uh, even from the back row, the video uh, by Peter Lobat. And also, it, that reminds me, mark your calendars for two weeks, February 24. Uh, Peter Lilback will be in town teaching Friday night, February 24. Uh, the host church for him will be Britain Christian Church over off of Western and Britain. 6.30, well, I'll get email information out. He'll be speaking on the two Adams and the four epics of human history. Okay, so uh, any other concluding thoughts as we come to an end on Philemon? <laughs> yeah, if you want to throw the secular in there, okay. <laughs> Let me let me uh, rephrase. It's not that's not secular. <laughs> it's a it's a receipt for secular purposes because the IRS says you have to have receipts. But whether we have receipts for the IRS or not, uh, we we uh, share of what God has blessed us with for the church. Um, as we share of our um, material possessions. Time, talents. Uh, we send money and help to uh, India, to Uganda, to uh, the Congo. And what does Paul say? We're fellow laborers with them in those distant places where they'll never go, but we're partners with them. So, thank you for tying that together for us, Kirk. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the, uh, the majesty and the depth of the Word of God, how it speaks to uh, human conditions, uh, lifts us up from mere earthly existence, uh, that we might set our uh, affections on you and on heaven. And as we live out our faith, obeying the Word as we would obey Christ, Bless us in our various callings that we might be salt and light. It can be hard to live these truths out, but you are able to do more because you have brought us into partnership with you. And all this is for forever.
So bless us in Christ's name.